offering this morning. There's baskets on the table. It's worth reminding us that we give to, uh, we, when we make an offering, that's as much an act of worship as anything else. And we give to the work of God because we believe he's worthy and we want to see his name made known in all the earth. And this is just one of the ways that we'll do that as well. So please do make use of those baskets on the table. Fantastic. Matt, why don't you come and introduce Simon? Thank you, Richard. Just before I introduce Simon, I just want to say uh, thank you to some who've been helping us the last couple of days. The last two days we've had a, a leadership teams conference with the leaders from the advanced churches in the UK here. They have about 80 people here Friday night through to yesterday afternoon. Had an amazing time, really wonderful time in the presence of God. And uh, that was really made possible with a whole bunch of people. A number of whom were serving again this morning. Michael was here serving and Georgie and Ben here again in the band today and others serving, making it happen. So I'm so grateful to the team here at Gateway, which enabled us to then serve and bless the other teams who are coming in. And it was just lovely to see people face to face again and have a fresh sense of, of, of mission and purpose together. So that was terrific. Let me introduce Simon. Uh, we often talk about, or when we have people come, we talk about guest speakers often, but we don't really have guest speakers. We don't just pick random people out of the ether to come and speak when I'm not speaking or Richard isn't speaking. We have people who we consider to be our friends who we feel some sense of genuine mission and partnership with. And uh, Simon is somebody who has been, a, I feel, like a friend to us because of his impact upon us in terms of encouraging us to adventurous mission. We want to be a people who are on adventurous mission together. And Simon is somebody who has set the pace for that in his uh, work heading up Global uh, Great Lakes Outreach, working particularly in Burundi. And I'm often, so often inspired by the stories, the emails, the videos that Simon sends through uh, they stir me to pray and believe God for more and to see the amazing power of God at work in lives and places which can seem absolutely desperate. So I'm really grateful, glad that we've able to got Simon back. Simon's going to be speaking at all three of our services this morning. So as soon as he's finished here, I'll be taking him down the road to Ashley Road and then back here for 11.30. But can we welcome Simon Gilbo? Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks, everybody. It's good to be back. I think I was last here about three years ago, maybe, and uh, it's my third visit here overall, so real treat to be back, albeit in these weird circumstances, not seeing your faces. I'm going to trust you smiling rather than sort of giving me the daggers. Um, anyway, I want to talk about how we receive the kingdom of God today, and uh, hopefully some pictures are going to come up just for context. Some of you are familiar faces, but some of you aren't, so this is just the context. I now live in Bath. I've just driven from Bath, but my context for 20 years has been Burundi, so there you go. So... If you haven't heard me before, that's been my sort of 23 years of my life. Um, we lived there for 20, 20 years, and, and, um, and so a lot of the challenge comes out of my experiences there. Next one. Uh, so it's the size of Wales, not a big place. Bujumbura is the capital. That's where we lived. I went out as a single young man. I, I totally lived expecting to die. Had people I care about got killed. When I proposed to my wife, I said, are you ready to be a young widow? So, you know, it wasn't pool, Bournemouth life. It was very, very different. It was like, you know, there's such an expectation of things potentially going catastrophically wrong, but, but being up for that, being up for that. Jesus didn't say, come to me for an easy life, did he? He said, if anyone would come after me, he or she must deny self and take up cross daily and follow me. And for me, I genuinely thought I wouldn't make the age of 30 or, or get married. And, and that just means there's still stuff to be done, that he's still got purpose. And the, the reason you're here is that he's still got stuff for you to do, hasn't he? And I hope you have a sense, fresh sense of commissioning today in that. Next one. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was the most dangerous country in the world when I went out in 1998, uh, and then we had ten, 10 years of peace in 2005, 2015. That was 2015, so now I have a wife and three children, and what's it look like to, to sort of still live by faith and choose faith over fear? And that's a daily choice we've got to make here, which I'll get to, actually, in the sermon proper. Next one. 
And keep going. These are just a couple of books. If, I, I won't be around, but you can grab them at the end there. So they're at the back. That's a daily devotional. If you want a shot, a daily shot about radical discipleship, go for that one. Next one. And there's the crew. So yeah, that's the family. They're in Bath right now. Next one. And uh, just in terms of understanding, you know, suffering, and, and uh, it's hard for us to get it. Burundi, the hungriest country in the world, 56% malnourishment. Can't get that statistic. But there you've got uh, my Canadian friend's four-year-old daughter, Alma. She is four. And the girl in the middle, she's four. Or she was four. She's probably dead now. And if she's not dead, then she's got stunted brain development from malnourishment. And that, that is wrong, isn't it? That's wrong. There's so many things that are wrong, which, you know, God... It's not wrong to be angry. I mean, the outworking of anger can be wrong, but actually we're meant to get angry. There's stuff down, down our streets. And our, you know, there'll be sexually trafficked girls here, won't they, within a couple of miles, and that is wrong. And there's all sorts of different issues that we are called to engage in, to be God's redemptive hands of transformation on this earth. So, so get angry about something. Pick a fight and, and get engaged. And so may channel that anger appropriately. You don't live angry, man. That's not a great place to be. But, uh, but you know, let's, let's challenge the, 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 when we see injustices, let's say, you know, God, we are here for a purpose. Let God use us in that. Next one. And again, and again. So these, I'll, I'll allude to these in the sermon. So one of the things I love is that for the last 15 years, we sent out evangelists into the bush to cast out demons, heal the sick, get beaten up. They didn't do it last year because of COVID. Um, but we, we reckon we've seen over that 15 years times 14 days, two-week outreach, times 700 evangelists on average, times eight hours a day. That's a lot of serious outreach. We reckon we've seen 170,000 people come to Jesus through that outreach. Mind-blowing with any kind of Acts of the Apostles. I could substitute whatever, uh, you know, Acts 14, Acts 12, whatever, with Bukirasazi uh, or Kirund or whatever. Beautiful. And I'll, 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 allude, I'll refer to that picture uh, as we look at the scriptures in a few minutes. Next one. And then I'll also see that boy there in the middle. I'll talk about him. And then I'll just get that out of the way. And now we can look at the scriptures. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 18. And uh, how, are we going to, how are we going to receive the kingdom of God? And the context of that is, is uh, you know, Jesus. I love Jesus because, I mean, he, I say I love him. Um, you know, he, he constantly messes with my head. And, and he, you know, we like to have tidy boxes, don't we? We want, we want to know where we're going. We want things to be predictable. I think many of us, we'd like to have God on a leash uh, and have him under our control. And Jesus constantly turns things upside down, says the most unexpected things. Uh, and you can't control him. You know, he is not conservative. He is not labor. He is not, uh, he's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. Everyone wants to own them. We want to sort of make him in our own image. But he, he defies all those categories. He's so much bigger. He breaks through our, all our convenient categorizations. And, and so I want to control him, but he is uncontrollable. And I, I think often we, we say we're followers of Jesus, but actually are we following him? Or are we expecting him to follow us on our terms? Our convenience, we setting the parameters of the relationship. And that's already a challenging question, isn't it, straight up? And he's saying, no, I want you to follow me. And if things in God's ways are so topsy-turvy, aren't they? The, the last of the first, the first of the last. Uh, God in heaven becomes a, a baby on earth. Our life comes through his death. His cross provides our crown. I mean, it, all these things, foolish, shame, wise, weak, the strong, all that sort of thing. His, his death ways on many levels definitely are not our ways. And so in Luke chapter 18, he's, he's already messed with our heads because he's told that story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And, you know, that tax collector was the scum of the earth. He was a traitor. He betrayed his own people. He's enriching himself uh, of his own people. He's a compromiser. And, and, and the Pharisee was the respectable bloke. And, and yet, a, actually, 
as Jesus tells the story, he, he's saying that the tax collector is, is the acceptable person. And that's like, Jesus, are you for real? That's nonsense. It's nonsense. And then he says in verse 15, people also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Now, I've called this talk Down with the Kids. And it's not like kids down, you know, we don't like kids. It's, 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 it's getting down with the kids. You know, Jesus, Jesus got down with the kids. He, and he says there's something about it. He's not saying be childish. He's saying be childlike if we want to receive the kingdom of God. In Matthew 19, Mark 10, it's a similar passages. You know, in the culture, as with many cultures, kids should be seen and not heard. And, and so I'm with the disciples. You know, they were trying to protect Jesus' time. He's got limited capacity and energy, and, and everyone's wanting a piece of the action. And, and so, they're, you know, bringing these kids. And I, as, as they're bringing kids, I mean, it actually says baby there, doesn't it? But all, or, or, or three, a toddler, three, four-year-old, that's what I'm picturing as he sits them on his knee, uh, and, and, and surely that's not best use of his time. You know, he's got so much wisdom to impart to the adults, and yet he says, no, 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 don't, don't, don't stop them, because actually we've got a lot to learn from them. So I just want to look at what we could possibly learn from them, if we want to receive the kingdom of God. So it's, the stakes are very high, aren't they? Now, it's an interesting question. I've got, I've got uh, kids right now. Um, I'm finding parenting quite challenging right now. One of my 15-year-olds made some shocking choices in the last few weeks. He's the first of his school to achieve some very uh, noteworthy negative distinctions, which we'll laugh about in years to come, but we're not really laughing about it right now. It's hard to be parents, isn't it? And um, a question is, you know, do you want your kids to end up like you? Or if you don't have kids, you know, nephews, nieces, or, you know, when you see those kids as you walk past a, a primary school, you know, what are they, how are they going to turn out? And do I want my kids to end up like me? Well, unless we've got a lobotomized lack of self-awareness, we're going to say, well, I want them to inherit the good stuff and, you know, to miss out on the bad stuff. I'd love them to inherit my, my, my passion, but not my lack of attention to detail. I'd love them to inherit my, my good looks, but not my sense of humor. I mean, there's, you know, there's things we'd pick and choose or we'd hope for them, wouldn't we? Do you want your kids to turn out like you? Flip that on its head, that question. Would you like to turn out like your kids? Because Jesus, as he messes with our heads, that is actually what he's saying in these scriptures. Again, we're not saying not to be childish, but to be childlike. Shout out to me characteristics of children that come to mind. Go for it. What characteristics come to mind? Why? Yeah, curious, inquisitive. That's right. Keep going. There's loads of them, aren't there? Playful. Trusting, joyful, dependent, needy, relatively clueless, and more emotional than rational, sincere, good, humble, teachable, pliable, submissive. I mean, or not, or not the case may be. 
Uh, honest, refreshingly honest. I love it. <laughs> I, was, I was preaching it uh, in Edinburgh just before lockdown, and there was this, uh, I was staying at these very sort of wise, mature people's house, and that, but they're, they're four, they had a last child, their four-year-old, she, was, she had doe eyes. I was, I was working in bed, it was cold, on my laptop. She sat at my feet for a bit, and with these doe eyes, she looked at me. She was so beautiful, so cute, and, and after a while, she said, she, she said, what the heck are you doing? And I was like, Clearly, your parents have taught you well, yeah. What the heck are you doing? Just, just you're completely out there. Now, I'm just going to go through some characteristics now that, that, of children that we might reject, but God is saying you need to have. And the first one would be needy and dependent versus self-sufficient and independent. Wherever you're from, Poole, Bournemouth, wherever. Are we, are we, we love to be independent to, to, to be self-sufficient. Uh, and actually, God is saying, no, you need to recognize that you are, well, you are needy and you are dependent. We, Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. And, and, and no, I mean, even, even the stuff that you think you've done yourself, it, you haven't really. Keller says this, anything you have is due to the century and place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources are in the end the gift of God. And I think of a guy in Burundi, and, and my friend went over and sat next to him, and, and this man was in his rags. He was in his 80s, and he'd seen it. Well, she went over and sat next to him. He had an empty bowl. He was there, just sat there praying with an empty bowl in his stinky rags, and she went over and sat next to him. What's your story, old man, Umutama? And uh, he told her how he, in his 80s he'd seen his wife and kids hacked to death, and his house burnt down. He'd walked six days to get that. He had lost everything in the world. And at the end of this horrific story of woe, he turned to her and he said, Madame, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. Well, I'm not, I'm not jealous of what he went through, but I'm jealous of him being able to say that. Oh, we've got so much stuff, and we've got so many different crutches that we depend on and rely on. And, and God is saying, no, you are needy, you are dependent. So, you know, you know, I think most of us are here because we already follow Jesus. But if you don't yet follow Jesus, well, all of us, we need to be rescued. We need a savior. And that might be offensive. You are a sinner. We've screwed up. We deserve separation from God. We will be judged. All of us will be judged. And one day we will have, there'll be a reckoning. And are we ready to meet him? And, and if, if, if your answer to that is anything other than, I'm only acceptable by the grace of God then, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, then you're in real trouble. And people don't like being told that, do they? No, I'm self-sufficient. I'm fine. I don't need anyone else. The first thing, you know, a child, they know they're needy. They know they're dependent. They are not independent. And if that is offensive to anyone to be told that, well, the next thing is, is humble and teachable or proud and having all the answers. Now, a child is, is, is basically humble and teachable. They are clueless, aren't they, at the beginning of their lives? Whereas we often think we've got all the answers, or certainly we don't want to be told that we've got things wrong. But three times in the Scriptures, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Hands up here, anyone who doesn't struggle with humility, with, with pride rather. Anyone, anyone, anyone going to say, yeah, I've got that one nailed? No, it's, it's, we all struggle with it, don't we? And that, that came, that came with time. As we grew up, we were humble as kids. 
C.S. Lewis on pride, the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. A proud man is always looking down on things, on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Let's be humble and teachable. Next one. Someone mentioned it. The curiosity. Curiosity or indifference or, or having our wonder dulled. You know, don't, it can be exhausting, can't it, having that child saying, why, why, why? But, it, but it's beautiful, isn't it? The, the, the thirst for, for growth and knowledge. There's one researcher called Rolf Smith, and he, he established through his research that, quiz, that children ask 125 probing questions a day and adults, on average, ask six. So somewhere along the line, we have lost 119 questions a day. And I, I think I wonder, has been dulled? And it's not attractive. Next one, joyful versus, versus serious. You know, I think one of the reasons why Jesus wanted to get down with the kids is because it's so much more fun. And, uh, you know, we, 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 we've lost our sense of, of, of fun and laughter. More research in terms of, of laughter. Kids, on average, laugh 300 times a day. Adults, 17.5. Brilliant. Laugh away. Come on, let's get a few laughs in right now. Laughter is a great thing. One of the things of living in a war zone is that, I mean, we, we would laugh a lot because it was so grim. It was really important for our sanity and, our, you know, our, our mental health. Next one, forgiving versus resentful. You know, kids, I think they quickly move on, don't they? And we can hold on to grudges or bitterness. And, you know, I could give you gazillions of stories that would hopefully not shame us, but would certainly convict us about what we're holding on to. Let me just tell you one, and that was of Judah, one of my best buddies out there. He actually stood for president this last year. Um, and, you know, his, well, his father was an influential guy going back in the day, and, and, but he was murdered, buried alive in a pit. And that was a very um, politically sensitive thing. So Junior, for 15 years, couldn't even go to the place where his father was murdered. But in due course, he got to know the murder of his dad, who came to faith, and they went back and preached reconciliation, a spot where his father was murdered. And the murder of his dad has now died, and Junior is sponsoring his two kids through school. What's your grudge? What are you holding on to? Some neighbor sort of damaged your fence seven years ago. I mean, there can be smaller things that we really get really naffed off and we can hold on to grudges. That's not even belittling what you have been through. But, or let me give you one more. A boy, I could have shown you a picture of me holding this boy in my hands and he was the size of a three-year-old, although he was eight years old. And that's because when he was three, he saw his mummy and daddy hacked to death and the killers forced him to eat parts of his dad's body, and he was found on a rubbish dump. He'd been eating mud for you, and I had to cut, cut the stones out of his gums. And, and when he, so he's just stopped growing. That trauma, he's, you know, his other friends are growing up, eight years old, he's still down there. And then age eight, he hears Jesus say, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. If you want to be forgiven, you must forgive. If you won't forgive, you won't be forgiven. So he forgave those sickos, and as he forgave them, literally, he started growing again and moving on. What are you holding on to? Go through it right now. Just shut your eyes and think. Is there any grudge? Is there any unforgiveness in my heart? And God is saying, you can, you can deal with it today. Next one, faith-filled versus skeptical. Now, those pictures, you know, I showed of our evangelistic teams. Um, 
It's funny, I, I had a doctor friend, a missionary doctor friend in Burundi, and uh, Reinhard Bonnke's crew came to town. And uh, it wasn't Reinhard, particularly, he's died now, but it was, um, it was before he died, but it was a guy called David Kalenda. And, and we, we, we went there, and there was probably 120,000 people there. Uh, but my missionary doctor friend, passionate apology, said, I cannot believe these miracles. Just goes so against all my experience, you see. And he was deeply skeptical. And I was there, I was watching, and they bona fide miracles. You know, I was, last time I was out in Burundi, um, we did an outreach in the bush, and uh, this, this, it wasn't uh, friends letting the guy through the roof, but it was friends bringing a boy on a bicycle, and he cycled that bicycle home. It was beautiful. And once he'd been healed, and in that picture, you had a witch doctor there, and, and our guys showed up and spoke the name, Muizina Yayesu, and he fell down, slain by the God and the Holy Spirit. And a few moments later, he came to, he was like, Ugh, could you come back in a couple of days? And so they returned a few days later. He'd assembled the whole village, and you saw there the preaching of the gospel and him burning his charms, charms publicly, submitting to the highest power at the preaching of the gospel. He and 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. That is our Jesus, isn't it? That is our Jesus. My, um, my, uh, our lodger, who's a fantastic 25-year-old lady who lives with us, she's a great evangelist. We want her to be there to model stuff to the kids in our household. Yesterday, she was prayed for. She, you know, she broke an arm, and, and now she's out the sling. She's going, it's gone, it's gone. I mean, it, it can happen. It doesn't just have to be in Africa, does it? Faith-filled versus skeptical. Next one, pliable versus brittle. You know, we are living, you know, kids, and I suppose the proviso being um, that they feel secure in the love of their parents, and hopefully we feel secure in the father's love, then, you know, change isn't threatening. We'll just go with the flow, and we'll embrace it, whereas, whereas we are so often resistant to change. It's threatening, and we embrace the status quo, even if we know it's not right. And God is saying, you know, you've got to embrace change. He's saying to you as a church, as a, as a family, You've got to embrace change. You know, you've got to keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is not stagnant. Don't run ahead. Don't lag behind, but move. And obviously, as a nation, there's so much going on as a world right now. What does it look like? We don't know. We don't actually need to know on one level. We just need to journey with Jesus in faith, one day at a time. Next one, hopeful or cynical. And uh, that's probably been the biggest challenge for me working for two decades in, in, in Burundi. It's no less of a challenge going back to England because you're a bunch of cynics. We're all cynical, aren't we? And there's so much hopelessness. And yet we are called to be hopeful. Kids are hopeful. They look at the future. Like, bring it on. What's good? And Jim Wallace writes this. The danger of secular fundamentalism is its allergy to spirituality and disdain for anything religious. Prophetic religion, listen, prophetic religion is the antidote to bad religion. Prophetic faith is, is not the battle between secularism and faith, but rather between cynicism and hope. Prophets, they begin in judgment, social critique of the status quo, but they end in hope that those realities can be changed. It's a spiritual choice. Ultimately, cynicism protects you from commitment. You see, if things are not really going to change, well, why try so, so hard to make a difference? And if you have middle-class economic security, as many cynics do, things don't have to change for you to remain secure. And that's not intended to sound harsh, just realistic. Cynics are finally free just to look after themselves. And perhaps the only people in the world who view life realistically are the cynics and the saints. Everyone else sort of living in some delusional middle ground. And the only difference between the cynics and the saints is the presence, the power, the possibility of 
hope. And hope is not a feeling, it's a decision. And the decision for hope is based on what you believe at the deepest levels. You choose hope, not as a naive wish, but as a choice with your eyes wide open to the reality of the world, just like the cynics have chosen not to hope. Now, feel nailed, you know, if that's for you. I mean, I feel nailed by all these, by the way. But I suppose as I'm, as I'm giving out these different things, childlike characteristics, I'm, I'm hoping that one particularly is on the money for you. I don't think we can take them all on at once and apply them. So what of these six or seven that I'm coming out with is for you, but a whole bunch of us, it is cynicism. And, you know, that picture that I showed of that, 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 that kid, it was between me and this strapping other guy on the beach. It was actually in South Africa. I was preaching down there. And uh, that little boy, um, he was dying. He was dying of AIDS. And we'd actually driven him from Johannesburg, six hours away down. That was Durban. That was the beach there. And my friend Anthony, who I'd met on the back of a donkey in the Egyptian desert, uh, and I'd looked at him. There was something familiar in his eyes, this South African dude. And I said, did you do all your schooling in South Africa? He said, yes, apart from three years at a prep school in Buckinghamshire. I went, no, he was my tennis partner when we were 11 years old. And now he's this 19 stone hulk, and I didn't recognize him. Anyway, that meeting changed his life because he now joined us in Egypt. He went to church with us, and then he did an alpha course, got saved. Went, and he, he left merchant banking in the city in London. He said, I am going to be part of the transformation of my nation in South Africa, AIDS, you know, the, the pandemic there. And uh, he was choosing hope over cynicism because there's so much. Why not just give up? Me and Burundi just give up. It's so ridiculously hard. There's too much to overcome. But no, choose hope. And so that's that, that little boy, he buried his own parents. His name was Bongani, 10 years old, and he was dying. So he wasn't a fun boy to be with. We had a break in the preaching schedule. We had three days. So Anthony said, I want you to meet this little boy. We're going to give him his dream. We drove down. And he he never said anything pretty much in the three days, and he didn't really smile, apart from when he, we came down the hill, and he, he saw the sea. That was his dream, to see the sea before he died. And his eyes lit up. And he put on his swimming togs, and we paddled into the water. And he got his dream, and the great big crashing wave came. He was bricking himself, so he got back out again. And, and then we were driving back to Johannesburg. And I was in the back of the bucky of the truck, you know, Anthony, another mate there, Bongani, me. And, and it was cold, it was nighttime. And he snuggled up into the crook of my neck, to share some body heat, I guess. And I, I listened to this snotty-nosed, husky-lunged little boy who's dying. And um, Anthony sort of flummoxed me with a question earlier. What's God's purpose in Bongani's life? And, and let me just tell you the story of what and Anthony called that project Starfish. And you, some of you know the starfish story. There's been a storm and loads of starfish being washed up on the shore and a starfish out of water is going to die. And you've got this little boy in his youthful zeal and he's bending down and he's picking up all these starfish and he's wanging them back in. But you know, there's stack loads of them. There's hundreds of them. So he's not making much of a, an impression really. And a cynical guy comes up to him and says, what are you doing, little boy? You're wasting your time. Look, there's hundreds of them. Give up. You're wasting your time. What difference can you make? And that little boy listened respectfully, but then he picked another one up and he wanged it in. And he said, well, it made a difference to that one, didn't it? And that is so simple and so powerful. And so Bongani was one of those starfish. And as I lay, as he lay in my neck, <coughs> and, and, and I'm wrestling, and I'm broken, I'm crying inside, if not out, outwardly, what's God's purpose in Bongani's life? Well, he's dead now. But if you get it, choose hope over cynicism. Even, you know, 
sometimes think look, look really hopeless, don't they? But there's always hope. There is always hope. You've got to believe that. Last few. Um, questioning and doubtful or secure. Yeah, again, the proviso, we've got loving Heavenly Father and loving parents. You know, the children do feel secure, don't they, naturally, until things go catastrophically. There's an innate security there. So secure versus questioning and doubtful. Uh, Gordon McKenzie did this research uh, in primary schools. He went around primary schools. Let's say there's 30 in each class. And he went in. He had one question for them. And his question was, hands up here, who's an artist? And with the four, five, six-year-olds, always, every hand would go, yeah, yeah, I'm an artist. And then seven-year-olds, 25. Eight-year-olds, 20 out of the 30. When they got to 11-year-olds, so hands up here as an artist, sort of two embarrassed, sort of reticent hands slowly went up. Yeah, I'm an artist. Maybe onset puberty, self-consciousness, whatever. But the, the point of his research, I mean, that question, hands up who's an artist, basically just hands up if you believe you've got what it takes. And, and his conclusion was that everything in our culture as we grow up is, is sucking us into a rigid, rigid mold of conformity. And conformity is not maturity. And I don't know about you, but I, I had two loving parents, and this is not everyone's experience, but you know, I was that four, five, and six-year-old when someone came and asked me, have you got what it takes, Simon? Hands up, here's an artist. I'm a chuffing Van Gogh. I'm brilliant. You know, I believe in myself. But then slowly, so, we just got crushed. We just got crushed. Now, take that picture of, uh, of an artist drawing a, a painting. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if you drew a picture right now of your life, what would it, what would it be like? Would, would you be pleased by it? You know, when I ask my kids, and again, they're, they're a bit older now, but all of them, when they're five years old, I give them a piece of paper, and they say, I draw this picture, Zach, Grace, Josiah, and they, they take them already, that's the wrong position, isn't it? And they, and they would just butcher this piece of paper, and it was objectively rubbish. It, was, it wasn't art, you know, it was, it was terrible. Like, what is it? Um, but, you know, I'm their dad. And I'd hang it up, pride of place in the kitchen. Everyone would say, look at this, my, that's my boy. And, you know, so I don't know what your picture looks like of your life right now. You know, did you, have you stuck to the lines? Have you got the color scheme right? Or is it a mess? Well, two things on that. If it's a mess, but it's the best you've got, he's pleased. That doesn't mean that things can't get better, that you don't have to work on things and you know, things need improving. And if you've got conscious rebellion in your life that you need to repent of and, and things that need addressing, I'm not endorsing sinful behavior and saying that. But if, if you're giving him your best in all the brokenness of life, because there's a lot of brokenness, then hang on in there. He's pleased. But actually, even better than that, second thing is that he can just give you a new piece of paper. And we could do this together, he says. How about that? fresh start, let's just do something together. Oh, what a second chance. That's a beautiful opportunity you have this morning. Do you want that? Do you need that? That's an offer. No one else is offering you that. That's as good as it gets. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And then lastly, trusting the fearful. Yeah, children, it's just that innate trust, isn't it? I mean, I can put their hands in the hands of daddy, you know, they just trust me completely. We'll go anywhere. Daddy's big enough. He'll take care of it. 
versus fearful. And goodness me, we are, we are about the most fearful nation on the planet. And I'm not belittling the severity of, of what we've been through, but we, our birthright as Christians is to not live by fear. And we are being manipulated by, by politicians uh, and an agenda. And that's, that's, that's yeah, I don't want to get too political, but, but uh, you can hear what I'm saying. We're not meant to be afraid. And, and, and some of us are shackled by fear, and he said, you can be released from that. I'm talking from a context of people trying to kill me, coming to my house with a grenade to blow me up, driving on the road, 40 people getting killed. I face death. And, and, you know, again, the gospel is that, you know, we, Hebrews 2 talks about how we've been set free from the fear of death. Where of death is your victory, 1 Corinthians 15? Where of death is your sting? For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. We shouldn't be afraid. Be free this morning. You could, you could choose to claim that birthright of freedom from fear. Choose faith over fear. During the Holocaust at Treblinka in Poland, a concentration camp, there was a family there, and, and uh, it was mum, dad, two boys. One boy was very seriously disabled. The father would go off each day and work separately, and he'd come back in the evening. And <laughs> what happened on one particular day was that during the time that he was away, they came and took... The, the severely disabled boy, because he wasn't productive, so they were taking him off to the, uh, to the gas chambers. And he was freaking out and uh, weeping, and he grabbed hold of his mum's skirt, and she got down with her kid. And she looked him in the eye, and she said, don't be afraid, I'll go with you. And mummy and son walked hand in hand into that gas chamber. That's what Jesus does. That's the incarnation. Jesus came down. He got down with us, his kids. He said, I'm going with you. Going through a hell of a time? I'm with you. I'm going to journey with you through it to resurrection. There is always hope. We are going to get there. In a hell on earth in Burundi, a difficult time, I received a, a letter, a posted letter from my great aunt, who was an old missionary warrior herself. And she had these three pithy lines. It said, it said, look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. But look to Jesus and be at rest. Well, looking around this nation, look around and be distressed, yes. And look within, look at my own brokenness, my own issues. It's depressing, isn't it? Look, look, around, look within and be depressed, but look to Jesus and be at rest. Brothers and sisters, our stakes are high. Verse 17 is a big deal. Truly, Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So this is important, isn't it? So Jesus is offering us, he's offering you, can I call you a child without sounding patronizing? Are you up for being a child? Precious child, this is what Jesus is offering you. Close your eyes. 
He's got down with the kids. He's, he's down with us right now. And you need to accept that you are dependent and, yeah, and needy. You are vulnerable. You can't manage on your own. You need a savior. You need a rescuer. You need a protector. You need to humble yourself because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And you can choose to lighten up, to be joyful, to be grateful and thankful instead of being glum and grumpy and complaining. Still, please, be curious. Choose to be curious. Keep asking questions. Be inquisitive. Be full of wonder. Lord, renew that in us today. Let's be Let's resolve to be quick to forgive, to let go of resentment, of grudges, of unforgiveness. Search our hearts right now, Lord. What does that look like? Let's embrace and adapt rather than resist and feel threatened by change. Let's choose to be hopeful rather than cynical. Please deal with your insecurities and self-doubts. Know your security in who you are, that you've got what it takes to be who's called you to be. And stop living shackled by fear. Stick your hand in the hand of God and journey with him in simple trust wherever that may lead. Now, that half dozen plus points, which one's for you? Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Father, we do take heed of verse 17. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Have mercy on us. Forgive us our pride, our self-sufficiency, our independence, our indifference, our dull wonder, our lack of joy, our resentfulness, our holding on to grudges, our skepticism, our our brittle resistance to change, our, our cynicism, our fear. Each and every one, each and every characteristic, Lord. And fill us with faith and trust and hope and joy. Amen. Thanks, guys. I think I've got to shoot off. Which one was for you? I mean, maybe, maybe seven of them were for you, but I mean, I, I don't think we can overhandle too many. So think about it. Which one's for you? What has it apply? If you came with someone, go back, talk about it. What does it look like? What's the practical at working? Otherwise, just listening, and then we go on the same. And the stakes are high, aren't they? 
So I'm, I'm, I'm shooting off. Um, I'd love you to grab some of those books. Afterwards, there'll be something rolling in terms of info. I'd love you to sign up to be in touch with our stuff. I think I love it when M Matthew says, you know, he's been following our stuff and hearing the stories. They are faith building, and that's part of our role. That's what we get from the, the suffering church is, is, is a raised bar in terms of stirring our faith back here. And so I send stuff out regularly. There'll, there'll be a little picture with a QR code and a, and a sign-up thing that you can look at. I do a podcast called Inspired. Uh, I'd love you to sign up for that. But bless you. Precious children. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Simon. While we stand together, let's respond. The encouragement there is that we'll not look to ourselves, but we'll look to Jesus. Let's respond. We'll sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Oh, how strange and divine I can see. 